Welcome, everybody, to episode 34, 2014 Roundup. I am Dr. Christopher Pisano. He is Dr. Yosef Gannett. This is the Stem Cell Podcast. What up, Yos? Happy holidays, man. Yes, happy holidays to you. Um, we ju- I feel like we just had the holidays going on I know, with Thanksgiving. This is so weird. I, feel, <laughs> I had a deja vu, too. Yeah, I did. I'm so, like, wait a minute, what the hell? So we're not going to have a guest today. We're going to just basically uh, wrap up some of the biggest findings of the year, some lost papers. Uh, so I'm going to do a roundup, and then Chris going to do a little bit of a roundup. You know, mine is more the breadth, and Chris does more of the depth into the stem cell world. And uh, that's that's about it for... So. Yeah, we yeah, it's difficult this time of year. Right now, this episode will come out... Really, the day before Christmas Eve, so it's a difficult time to get people on to interview. Everyone's very busy in the holidays, so I think we did it last year. Yosef and I just took an episode, and we just talked about papers and talked a little bit more. Um, so you guys are just got to be stuck with us today on today's episode. So um, we are the Stem Cell Podcast. We are the official podcast of the International Society for Stem Cell Research. The pre- they put out a press release, Yosef, announcing the official relationship. I was that was really awesome. Yeah, Excited to see that, that out. Yeah, that's very so, nice. So um, that means you guys can we're, we could be obnoxious in your life in multiple places. We're on <laughs> stemcellpodcast.com. We're at issr.org. Uh, so you could check us out there and on our website. Go to our website and sign up for the. Um, Put your name and email address in for uh, newsletter updates, which gives you all the links to the papers and all that good jazz, and you will be entered to win a free uh, Stem Cell Podcast t-shirt. The ISSCR meeting in Stockholm, Sweden, is uh, now registration open, uh, and so you can get a discount, some registration by... Um, you know, registering early. Yo, I always forgot to do that back in the day. You know, I always was like, I'm going to register early this year. And then I forget. And then I end up paying more. So don't do that. Go to the, go to ISSCR.org and register early. Yeah. Um, get that done. We're I think abstract, over. abstract, abstract submissions are also currently open. So you can get your poster, um, you know, presentation in there as well and be a part of the scientific program. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I never do the early registration, but I think I'm going to get my act together and do it this year. So um, We will be there. You, we said we'll be there from ISSCR Central in the middle of the floor doing interviews. Um, the Stem Cell Podcast is also planning, we're, we're trying to throw up a little party, the Stem Cell Podcast party, to get, uh, just to have a good time. And, uh, you know, uh, hopefully some of the listeners out there will join us. We'll fill you in as we go. Um, it's, we're trying to plan it from across the water here. It's a little difficult, but we will, uh, uh, we will have, yeah, uh, anybody in, have a party, anybody in Stockholm, the only good places to, you know, host a, a cool event. It's going to be semi exclusive, but, uh, we're also going to be giving out t-shirts as well at the conference. Uh, so if you come by the booth, uh, you know, if you, uh, basically are willing to wear the t-shirt and maybe come to our event uh it's going to be free of charge so yeah uh, there you go we're going to hook you up we'll uh, fill you in at those details as we come along let's see um do i have it so stem cell podcast.com stem cell podcast at gmail.com i want to give a shout out to somebody though yosef let me see uh william corwin there he william is William or bill i don't know man how you say it but will william sent us an email um, that was just awesome talking about how, how, you know, he's, he, he loves listening to the podcast and it got him so fired up that he's now gone back into, uh, bench science, um, as a postdoc, right? Yos, I think yeah. that was it. Yeah. 
and uh, he um, basically he, he, went to the dark side, as I called it in the past. He went corporate, and then I guess we inspired him to go back into academia. Uh, so I guess he's going to be over at the Jackson Laboratory in uh, genome, the new Genomic Medicine Center in Connecticut. So big shout out to him, and hopefully he does well with the lung regeneration research. So um, Yeah, man, that's yeah. awesome news, and it was great for you. These are the kind of things Yosef and I love to hear. So please, guys, send in your comments. Uh, stem cell podcast at gmail.com. Yo, do you know where the Jackson Lab? You're a Connecticut guy. Where is that? Do yeah, you know? no, I should have looked it up, but uh, no, I focused mainly on the roundup today. So I, yeah, I do not. I often. have no idea either. I yeah. just figured, but I, you know what? People make the assumption if you're from a state, you need to know where everything is in that <laughs> yeah. state. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like California, it's so big. Oh, yeah. Do you know where that is? You live in California. No, nah, yeah. man, I never heard of that before. Yeah. Um, Any other all announcements? Right, so let's, should we go? Should we move? What do you think? Any other announcements? No, I guess that's uh, it, right? man, I don't think so. Let's get into the uh, the roundup, the science roundup brought to you by Thermo Fisher. Uh, go to, go to uh, stemcellpodcast.com and click on the banner there and uh, get access to all of the archive presentations from the 24-hour stem cell event. Uh, again, you can go to the website, stemcellpodcast.com, and check it out. Yos, my man, let's, uh, let's get it going. Okay, there was a Frontiers in Psychology study showing that wolves are better at understanding math than domestic dogs, domesticated dogs. <laughs> yeah, so they tested, the test involved pieces of cheese, and they put them in opaque containers. And basically, wolves can count up to the number four, uh, whereas dogs can uh, discriminate only when they see the food, but they lack the mental representation capabilities to count. And so uh, they think it's probably due to the guaranteed food source that we give them when we feed them puppy chow. So they don't, yeah, they don't need to know like how many wolves are down a rabbit hole like a wolf may. Because they got more food coming? Yeah, they just know that you're going to come home and feed them. So <laughs> they lost that ability. Uh, that yeah, that's interesting. Uh, there's the proceedings of the Royal Society B. I don't know what the B is for, but uh, researchers basically discovered that a praying mantis will sometimes <laughs> trick the males into thinking they're full of eggs and waiting to be fertilized, but instead she just eats them. <laughs> I must say, and she doesn't even let a mate with her. She just eats them. Oh, I, I just thought that was God. evil. <laughs> but uh, yeah, praying mantises are pretty... Uh, pretty so that'd mean. be the equivalent of... Uh some like a woman getting all like dressed up and like you know like lingerie and then we walk in and we're like oh right and, and clearing out your alive. bank account no just say clearing out your yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. like it cleans out wipes you wipes your account out yeah there exactly either way you're dead uh, there's a <laughs> science article of mars rover findings of methane gas on mars so uh this could have been from previous life or a reaction of water with materials in the Martian subsurface that created methane from olivine in a process called serpentinization, or it could have been delivered from somewhere else in the solar system as cosmic dust or micrometeorites. But you know, all the life on Mars people are pretty excited about. Or it's alien farts, man. There you go. Exactly. Uh, there was a Nature Chemistry video. I'm going to post this on the website showing zinc sparks when sperm meets the egg. I don't know if you saw the video. It's really pretty cool. Yeah, you could just see the the oh, the egg light up when it gets fertilized. Wow. Yeah. So they, there's sparks in the bed and sparks. 
sparks in the in, in the, the egg. In the egg. There you go. The spark wow. of life. Yeah. And they visualized it with a zinc tracer, which That's is pretty cool. cool. Yeah. There was a another dog study here. I'm I'm heavy on the dogs today. Uh there was a I guess it's the dog days of twenty fourteen. So uh there was a current biology study showing that dogs pro- process speech much like uh, humans do. And it's been so it's well established that humans on the left side of the uh the hemisphere of the brain process meaningful verbal content as encoded by fast changing stream of audible sound whereas the brain's right hemisphere is more strongly associated with information that the voice car- carries such as emotional tone encoded in like a voice's slow changing or static layers of sound so when dogs heard the clip of enhanced verbal content in a familiar language most of them turned to the, their right side indicating that the left hemisphere was tackling the verbal processing. When a clip uh, was in an unfamiliar language, most of the dogs turned to their left side, instead indicating the right hemisphere processing. So a majority of the dogs also turned to, to their left when they were exposed to speech with positive emotional tones in which the verbal information was removed altogether, which suggests that the verbal content has to be meaningful to the dogs in order to result in a stronger reaction from the left hemisphere of the brain. So it basically, they I, I've seen this too, the way they, you know, the saccades that um, we do when we read faces, there's like a slight left saccade when yeah. you read, that dogs do that too. Apparently they do this with uh, speech as well. So uh, wow. all that domestication over the years, we've really grown to, are you a dog person or are you a cat person? Um, you know I like I'm, dogs. Um, I, I don't have pets. I probably won't, but I like dogs. I'm very allergic to cats. You know that. So uh, I can't yeah, that's mess right. around with a cat. That's right. Back in the day when you would hang out at my Risky. place. Risky. Yeah. yeah. Your cats would purposely <laughs> climb on me, I think, just to get to me. <laughs> uh, what's our favorite journal? Yes, the Proceedings of National Academy of Sciences studies showing that testosterone contributes to the formation of colon cancer tumors. They removed testosterone in rats, which I assume means they snipped them. Castrate. Uh, Yep, and uh, colon cancer rates dramatically decreased, and then they reintroduced testosterone, and the rates went back to normal. Uh, So there are also higher colon cancer rates in postmenopausal women, so... There's something about the hormones that may be, uh, you know, contributing to colon cancer. So you can find that in PNAS. Uh, There was a British medical journal. This one's actually tongue-in-cheek. At the end of the year, the uh, British medical journal looked at winners of the Darwin Awards. This is like a prize, a dubious prize that they give to people who have injured themselves or died due to poor (laughs) risk assessment skills. And they found that 88% of the winners were male. So just dudes are more stupid, essentially. The team ran an analysis of 20 years of Darwin Award winners and whittled down cases uh, to those whose deaths deaths were independently verified. Um, and basically, the awards shared by men and women, usually these overly adventurous couples, were also left out. So that left 318 Darwin Award winners with 282 given to men and only 36 to women. So Wow. Yeah. Dumb men. Stupid dudes. Anyhow, uh, P. 
PLOS, one study showing how birds hear without external ears. I don't know if you saw this. And I never realized that. I never thought about that. Like, how do birds hear without, you know, external ears? So they, mm-hmm. that slightly oval-shaped head of theirs is able to transform sound waves in a way similar to external ears do. So uh, you find the details of that in wow. PLOS 1. Uh, there was a physical review letters article of what may be the first sign of dark matter, which is I just think is pretty awesome. Uh, this sort of energy that like glue that like keeps the universe together, or is that dark energy? I always get the two confused. But dark matter, I basically matter as we know is only four percent of the universe, and dark matter is the vast majority. Um, so the team analyzed X rays in. Uh, two celestial objects in the Perseus galaxy cluster and our cousin Andromeda, our sister galaxy, actually, and found a mysterious anomaly that could not have been emitted by any known atom or or particle. So this X-ray spike was also detected in June by another group from Harvard, and they looked at the data from 70, where they looked at data from 70 different galaxy clusters. So the signal comes from the center of galaxies and is believed to be from the decay of dark matter of a dark matter particle known as the sterile neutrino, which is one one hundredth the size of an electron. So, pretty crazy stuff out there. And dark, this, yeah, dark, yeah, the dark matter. So, um, there was a science paper showing a forty million year evolutionary tug of war against uh, infectious bacteria over iron. Uh, supplies in our bloodstream. So this science paper is pretty cool. So I didn't, I never heard this nutritional immunity. It's a defense mechanism that starves infectious bacteria by hiding circulating iron. So you know that bacteria need iron to basically Mm -hmm. survive. So transferrin, the gene transferrin in our body hides the metal from bacteria, but then in return, the bacteria have a gene called transferrin binding protein that steals our iron. And uh, using genetic analysis across 21 primates, they show a tug of war between these two genes over time. And up to 25% of people have small alterations in transferrin that prevents recognition by several infectious bacteria that cause diseases like meningitis, gonorrhea, sepsis, all that stuff. So uh, you can find that over in science. I thought that was cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Uh, There was a movement disorders study showing that this one's right up my alley, that Parkinson's patients have much less gut bacteria from the Prevotelicae family of uh, gut bacteria. And they also found that the amount of bacteria from the Enterobacterial K, how do you say that? C-E-A-E? You know how they put that K? C- yeah. Oh, yeah. I have <laughs> yeah. no idea. <laughs> so the Enterobacteria K family uh, was connected to the degree of severity of balance and walking problems in patients. So the more this bacteria family, the worse their symptoms were. So uh, something with that gut-brain connection going on there. Dude, I mean, I'm, I totally believe that. I'm into that stuff. I know you are. Big you, time. Yeah, you know from my... 2012 study that one of the most significant cell surface receptors expressed by dopamine neurons was this Gucci Tusi gene, this guanolin cyclin. Yeah, this gut bacteria gene uh, was some for some reason expressed by midbrain dopamine neurons. So there's something to it. I just don't know what it is yet. 
Uh, there was a gut study using insulin propionate ester or IPE mimic of propionate, which is this uh, uh, ge- a gene that's produced naturally when dietary fiber is fermented by microbes in the gut and stimulates the gut to release hormones to the brain, which produces hunger. So this is like sort of tricking the brain to feel full. And they found that uh, the the volunteers who got IPE ate 14% less and had higher concentrations of appetite-reducing hormones in the blood. And they also found that after 24 weeks, uh, the IPE group had less fat in their abdomens and livers compared to the control group. So... Find that gut tricking the old brain to uh, so think you, it's so full. So you to make the brain think you're full. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Uh, hmm. And uh, hopefully, it'll be a you know nice way to lose weight, dude. You know what I noticed on that level? MSG is on a lot of stuff, dude. I mean, yeah. I was in the I was in the I was in like the grocery store the other day, and I was just like being more cautious and looking through box, like you know, like rice, like. Rice aroni, like things like that, you would consider has M. Those things, a lot of these things have MSG in in a lot of their stuff, which is monosodium glutamate, which is doesn't really trick the brain, but it doesn't have any inherent flavor, but it enhances uh, known flavors. So, man, a yeah. lot of this game is tricking the brain, huh? It's like the fifth flavor, the fifth taste. They say the unagi flavor. Uh, that, that <laughs> yeah, yeah, that uh, yeah. I don't know. Um, MSG, I, I try to stay away from it, but I'm not even sure why. It's sort of like high fructose corn syrup. I, uh, you know, it's exactly. like, it's like, just <laughs> seems eat, bad. Is there MSG in it? No, good. I don't <laughs> good. know why, but yeah, that's what they said. Just, that's what they said. So, uh, there was a PLAS1 study describing a newly identified dinosaur species. You know, I love this stuff from a skull and earth, uh, uh unearthed in Montana in 1997. The dinosaur lived between hundred and four hundred and nine million years ago during the early Cretaceous period. You know, that's my favorite period. Mm, Joseph would live in the Cretaceous period (laughs) if he could. The Aquilops Americanus is the name of it. It's a crow-sized creature whose face uh, sported a sharply pointed cheeks and a prominent beak. And it's surprising because it lived 20 million years before the next oldest horned dinosaur from North America. So that's over in Pilos 1. Uh, there was a science paper using uh, data from the Rosetta mission that, you know, that, that uh, lander that landed on the comet. I, I, yeah. I, this should be part of our 2014, like, awesomeness of the year. Just the fact that we landed on a comet. Uh, the mission uh, landed on it argues that uh, is unlikely that comets brought water to Earth and instead could have been from asteroids instead. Uh, so that's over in science. And uh, I'm going to add a few more in real quick to wrap this up. There was a neuropsychopharmacology study finding that turmeric, you know, that uh, that curry spice compound, impaired the formation of fear memories in the brain after traumatic experience. So they used high doses, obviously, but they showed that in rats uh, that were fed a diet rich with curcumin uh, impaired the encoding of fear memories. So that's in neuropsychopharmacology. Cool. So a little spice to help your PTSD. Little spice. Yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. I want to get to some like really. Oh, you got the Naggy's F class cells coming out. So you'll oh, probably yeah, talk man. more about that. So I'll skip that. Um, and then there was. Uh, let's see here. 
biological psychiatry study showing that laughing gas or nitric oxide could be a potential treatment for severe depression in patients whose symptoms don't respond to standard uh, antidepressants. About one third of patients don't respond. So this could be a new laugh. It's so funny. You use laughing gas to cure depressed people. It's like laugh it off. But uh, <laughs> it's attractive because it has limited side effects. So that's in biological. Uh, Have a laugh. Suck on this gas. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And uh, uh, let's see. I j- I'll add a couple more. There was a nature medicine showing uh, that new peptide that new peptide that integrates three gastrointestinal hormones lowered blood sugar levels and reduced fat beyond all existing drugs and a new treatment for adult onset diabetes it's a peptide that combines two endocrine hormones called glip1 and gip uh which enhance insulin action and reduce blood sugar and a third hormone glucagon I'm sure you remember that. Yeah, from good old, old glucagon. Yeah, which increases the long-term rate at which calories are burned and improves liver function. So this triple agonist reduced weight in rodents by thirty percent. So wow, that's, a, that's pretty big. And uh, wow. I guess it I'll leave really it there because I'm at the 15 minute mark and uh, I've gone through a bunch of papers right there. So. All right, man. You know, yeah. um, so thank you. I, I this is I'm going to talk a little bit about some stem cell things and I. It's, it's, I wonder if it's like it's timely, and I wonder if it's on purpose. So at the end of the year, there are some papers came out that and, and things in the news that kind of fit the whole bill of the year. I was telling Yosef before we got on the air that this year seemed to be, you know, there was a lot of big discoveries. We t- we try to highlight as many as possible, but I feel like there was a lot in the realm of pluripotency. Uh, we you know we we talked with uh, a bunch of people. We had Paul Tizar on. We've had Austin Smith on. We had Dieter Egli on. We, you know we had there there was a lot of things on ground state uh, establishment of the ground state cells. Looking at epiblast cells and ground state cells. We looked at. Um, uh, STAP was out. Remember STAP, this new method to make cells. It turned out to be, we call STAP crap. It turned out to be a, a method that wasn't proven to, to work. Um, Rudy Yanish had a paper talking about ground state. Uh, so there's a lot of things, big, big papers that came out regarding this new state of stem cell pluripotency. And then Yosef mentioned these F-class stem cells, which I'll talk about a little bit in a minute, which is a new class of stem cell discovered by Andres Naji's group. And uh, there were five nature papers, Yos. There was two nature articles and three nature communication papers on uh, from him, from his group and others talking about these F cells. Um, again, a new type of cell and talking about different states of pluripotency. So this overall theme of pluripotency um, in this year of 2014 is very interesting. Uh, there were some big differentiation papers. We talked about um, Doug Melton's paper, yeah. remember, for insulin. We talked about uh, Malin's paper and with Shane and, and the dopaminergic differentiations. Um, but I, I really feel like there was a strong, big dose of, of stem cells, just pure, straight-up stem cell state, pluripotent paper. So uh, I'll touch on the F-class the F, I feel like F class, like it's a car. Like you know, what you get? I got the I got the F class. I got the F class stem cell. Yeah, yeah, I got the F class stem cell working. So 2014 um, model. Yeah, the 2014 F class. So uh, before I do that, I thought this was really funny. I, so I, I was trying to find some stuff, and it's I came up with this article. It said the NFL has a problem with stem cell treatments. So you know, I'm a big NFL fan. So is Joseph, and uh, there's been a lot of 
NFL players that have been even high profile, like Peyton Manning, were going overseas or somewhere to get autologous. Basically, you know, they they take cells out of the fat, spin it out, and then graft it back into the knee or the arm or the shoulder or something that's hurt. And you know, a lot of people say it helps them. And so there was this article that came out. Um, let's see, this is technology, the technology review. And it, it, it's talking about how these professional athletes are getting injections of stem cells to speed up the recover from injury. And a lot of critics are saying it's just a high tech placebo that there's really no controls and there's really no good evidence to say it's actually working because it's your own, your own cells going into your own body. The risk is low of harm, but it's really not doing anything to help you. Um, and the critic, the, the, the critique of it is, I guess, is that if this keeps coming out in a positive light, that we keep reading about all these famous athletes going to get it, it might spur a, a more people to go to get dangerous stem cell treatments that we know might not have as good of outcome or any or, or negative outcomes. So I think over 100 NFL players have gone for stem cell transplants. I didn't wow. know that. Uh, and we know Rafael Nadal, Rafa, he uh he got uh, a treatment too for his back. So Nadal a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people, a lot of professional athletes getting it. Then I read in a separate thing that this, there's a stem cell treatment to repair a torn meniscus is very very close. So this is more along the lines we talked about with like Anthony Atala's work, where they this was published in Science Translational Medicine, where they take they use like a biodegradable plastic found in almost like surgical sutures to 3D print a model meniscus, and then they load that with proteins that work like a magnet for stem cells. It must be some sort of chemo attractant or something like that. And then they um, drawing them to it from the bone marrow and it will seed the meniscus and actually kind of regenerate, uh, uh, treat and repair the tor- a torn meniscus. So, you know, talk about in the future for athletes, I hope that becomes available to them because I don't want anyone on my football team with a torn meniscus out for the year. I want them to get a stem cell transplant and be back out in the field. So, Are you doing fantasy? Uh, I'm in the finals, man. Okay, congratulations. Oh, yeah, man. I'll let everybody know. <laughs> if you get that I money. Get pumped up. That'll be pumped up for my final game on Sunday. So, all right, so that was that. The majority of my time this past couple of weeks was consumed with F stem cells, these F-class stem cells. And I, I can't even begin to go into the depth here uh, on this show because it's crazy, dude. I mean, they had two Nature articles that were, like, dense. I mean, like, they were, like, four or five figures and then, like, I'm looking here. There were let's let's 10, just start um, with the basics. F class for, stands yeah, for I'm fuzzy. Tell you, and then I just want to say there were three. So basically, what they found was, in short, they found a new stem cell state. Okay, that that's a purely in vitro their artifact, right? Because everything's done in vitro. And they, they 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 this the first paper to characterize the cell was called genome wide. No wait, where is it here? Divergent reprogramming roots lead to alternate stem cell states. Okay, so. What they did was they found that if you re- when you reprogram the level, so we all know this. If you reprogram, this is using the IPS technology. This is using Yamanaka's four factors. If you throw on these four factors, if you induce, if you transduce the fibroblasts with these genes, you know, and you look down the microscope, you'll start to see colonies, IPS-like or ES-like looking colonies coming out. You pick them and you grow them. Okay, some of them will turn out to be good. Some are okay. Some don't work but no one really talks about what happens to the other cells in the dish okay we call them like you know i don't know what they are half um you know intermediate kind of reprogrammed cells or something like that so what they did was they took they threw on the factors and they picked colonies without 
holding the, the cells of the colonies to any sort of standard. So they didn't pick cells because they look like IPS. They just picked random, you know, colonies here, there, there, whatever. And then they characterized them. And they did extensive omics, like every omic mm-hmm. you can think of, right? And yeah, I heard it's called was, the Grandiose Project. <laughs> Yeah, he they called it the Project Grandiose. Grandiose. That's that's okay. All right. So, what they found was that if there was this subset of cells, colonies, that exhibited this unique morphology, that they weren't really flat colonies, and they look like they didn't really look like ES or IPS colonies. They they look very fuzzy, and that's where the name F stem cell came there, fuzzy stem cells. But they expressed things like Nanog. They expressed Oc4. They were able to differentiate into all three lineages. They were able to form teratomas. This is in mouse. The only thing they were not able to do was they were not able to like do tetraploid complementation assays. They weren't able to, you know, c- contribute to an, an animal. They weren't able to create okay. a new animal, which is the strictest test of, of, of what we would call pluripotency, right? Um, they're not lift dependent. They're not at jack stat. They're not. They're not um, uh, uh, FGF dependent. I don't believe. Um, so, or or so. So they they're grown in very particular conditions. They're incredibly proliferative. So if I think it, I don't know that I forget the percent. But if you seeded, yeah, if you took one percent F cells and you mixed it with ES like cells, after three passages, you would have only F cells. Really? They to- yeah. They totally out out compete and out proliferate. So they're incredibly proliferative. All right, and the reason why they're so fuzzy is because they lack a lot of these cell adhesion integrin and kind of matrix molecules that ES and IPS have, like E cadherin and things like this. So they thinks that renders them not really able to flatten out and form these these wide col- these colonies and things like this. Um, so really, in the main paper, they conclude the catch. Okay, so th- that's that's what they look like. All right. So, how do you get to an F stem cell state? The way you get there is, so what they found is that the cells that gave rise to these F stem cells had incredibly high rates of transgene. So, if you were to express the four, the four Yamanaka factors at very high rates and you constantly keep them on, you can generate F cells. Once you lower that or you drop one out, you no longer get them. Mm. Okay, so it, it's it's it's... It's only produced under extreme high levels of transgene, and they're transgene dependent. Once you remove the transgene, they're go, they're gone. Mm. Okay. So the next paper was, I thought, even more interesting. They took, they did what's called secondary IPS generation. So they did, um, they did primary reprogramming. They took a MEF, reprogrammed it tetraploid embryo complementation they made an embryo then they took fibroblasts from that embryo and then they reprogrammed that mm-hmm. okay and what they did then was they for the first for the sorry go ahead no go ahead all right so they took for the first eight days they had it under high this is all doxa, doxycycline right mm-hmm. so they have what's they had this piggyback technology you know where you transposons you can introduce yep. the, the the transgenes and you could turn them on by docs so they have high levels up to the first eight days and then after that they switch it they either keep it in high levels or they keep it now in low levels and what they found is if they keep it in high levels right they'll go on to make f cells if you don't you'll go on to make what we know as ips like cells Mm -hmm. and they took time points at like three like three day intervals at all stages of this 
and they did all the omics mm. and they tried to find what di- what's different about this and ultimately they found that there is some there's some differences in the methylation status so um, I guess in F cells they um, um, they have this h3 k4 methyl 3 early and then uh, it, it goes away and then comes back again when they reach the ES-like state in F-class. It goes away and never comes back. Mm. Um, and so, like, things like this, they're seeing differences. There's a strong methylation component that's very different. Um, the, the point of all of the papers was that pluripotency is not so much a philosophical thing. I mean, it's there are different states, pure states of pluripotency that have that you can achieve by pushing them using you know certain levels of transgene technically and clinically where the where Najee was going with this is saying that these f cells because they're so proliferative they're very stable so like over 30 passages their their genes don't really change they're not like es and ips that like can be very unstable like every time they make these f class cells they look the same whereas ips cells every time you make ips cells they're very different mm. so they don't really attach very well. They're incredibly proliferative, which means, like he's saying, you can use them in a bioreactor, much more amenable to a bioreactor, floating, mm-hmm. you know, growing very fast, very stable, can still try lineage differentiate. So he's suggesting that this might be a more stable cell to use, um, you know, if you want to, like, you know, like we use pluripotent stem cells for. But the catch, the, the, the catch is you have, you have to be able to efficiently make them um, I think that's what they're working on now. Like it's kind of an artifact now. They know if they really pump these transgenes in, they can generate them. But they would need to have an efficient protocol and a way to grow them and things like this. So, so if I understand I, you right, um, so they have higher levels of nanog and all that's you know they're more, uh, ste- more of the stem cell genes. The reprogramming genes are on, and so they are, I guess. They're more stable, but they're not able, even though those genes are on, they're not able to contribute to the embryo. Like, I, I don't understand why that would be. Do you, I mean, conceptually? Yeah, so you- they, they, so interestingly, um, um, they have higher levels of nanog. They have, uh, higher, let's see, to OC4, SOX2, KLF4, and CMIC were expressed many fold above ES cells. Um, so, uh, let's see, F-class cell lines begin particular. let's see, an, uh, intriguing as they express nanog and endogenous OC4 at ES cell levels, yet did not possess an ES-like morphology. Yeah, I um, looked at them, they did look they fuzzy. Do, they do exhibit significantly reduced expression of many plurinet genes, like DNMT3B, CF342, TGF1, mm-hmm. so they do have differences, you know? Um, so, I, th- I guess, like... First of all, this is all done in mouse, so this hasn't been shown in humans. So we don't know if they're going to be applicable to uh, cell therapy just yet. But probably, I mean, think about Yamanaka's 2006 paper and then 2008 came out the human version. So that could be on the way soon. But um, what I got from reading some reviews and stuff was that the main, besides what you just said, is also the media is really cheap. to use these cells with yeah because they don't really require a lot they, they're very stable and, and you were saying that uh they're stable in the fact that like 
you don't need to have the reprogramming factors there anymore. They just keep the nanog and socks and all that on on their own. No, so no, you have to keep their transgene dependent. Okay, they have. Right. They always have to have the high levels of that. Now, I, uh, Joseph, I don't know if I'm reading this wrong or not. Like, I don't know if it suggests that it upregulates the endogenous to a high level. I don't think so. I think that they, you have to have a constant expression of transgenes. Okay. And what, I think they were they, they did the experiment where they drop one out, and as soon as you drop one out, you the F cells transition back out. Um, How's that good for making tissue, though? Uh, if I'm mean, so, I presumably you turn it off, and then it's time to differentiate, or yeah, yeah, okay. you can differentiate them. Then I mean, you basically you 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 use them to expand, I would imagine, and then you then you differentiate them. Now you can interestingly, if you throw on an HDAC inhibitor, mm-hmm. you can transition an F class stem cell to an IPS like cell. Okay. Or like an ES cell state, so you can you can go back and forth between the states. It's like a like a matrix. Like you know, I'm in the main. Like you can transition between two worlds. Um, so how do you conceptually the, oh, see these, Chris? Are they are they more ground statey or more epiblast or just somewhere in? That's the thing. In they their own world, compared them to epiblast stem cells, and they didn't. They they saw a very big difference. They compared them to. ESL, this ground, which is in mouse, like the traditional, like a ground state, and they saw a difference. So they think it truly represents a novel state that, mm. uh, and and they they don't, they're not lift dependent, so they don't really know, um, you know, it, that's why they think they're, you know, this whole that that that's why it was such a big story is that it was a state of pluripotency that has very different characteristics, and so they they go on to say that it's not just a transition point, it's not just you know a further differentiated ES-like cell. It's an actual true pluripotent state based on nanogoc 4 and these things, but it's just in a different, in a different kind of held in a different way. Now, to the human point, the, he said that there are reports in the literature where people have observed uh, when they were looking at, people have, have addressed or trying to look at partially reprogrammed cells in human, and people have reported the, the observation that uh, they see cells that look weird, that look fuzzy. Mm. So, so it could be that they people have made them, and no one's paid attention to them because we're always looking for the colony, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so if you guys out there, we'll put all the links up. There were five papers. There were two primary articles in Nature, and then there were three supporting in Nature Communications. I'll reach out to uh, Dr. Naji and 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 try to get him on the show uh, and and uh, after the New Year because. There's a lot to digest. I would like to ask him where he would like to go with this, um, and and you know, you know, we say it's an in vitro artifact, right? But what he says is so are ES cells, really? Yeah. Because you're holding them in a state they don't normally exist in anyway. So he's one um, of my heroes. Didn't he make that Rosa Locus? I, I I think he's. I've I know he's. I've read papers from his lab before. He's he's a pretty prolific. Yeah, he's yeah. big time. Yeah, so hopefully he'll come on. And, uh, so, yeah, I would love to try to get him on and we could talk to him more about it. Um, and that's, I, I really just spent a lot of time on that. I, I want to give a, a, a quick shout out to um, uh, the Giuseppe Testa's lab out in uh, Italy there. He had a paper in Nature, I want to say, I believe, Nature Genetics. Um, I'm going to double check that. Looking at, um, let me see here. This was, yeah, 7F, 7Q11.23, which is a, a chromosomal 
Uh, see, dosage-dependent dysregulation in human pluri stem cells affects transcriptional programs and disease-relevant lineages. Uh, this is nature, uh, but genetics, I think. Uh, it's more uh, in my wheelhouse, looking in, in the cortex mm-hmm. and things. Yeah, nature genetics. It was this. Or it was an article there. Go check that out. And then, lastly, uh, just to close off the year. Uh, did you see that Stapp has officially been dead now? Officially pronounced dead because they had Obakata, the the woman who was originally did the experiments. They had her repeat it, and even she couldn't repeat it. Ooh. So this result just came out that like a study at the Reichen that was overseen by Obakata to reproduce Stapp failed. So. If she can't make it, man, it's it's a wrap on Stapp, I think. So you know, congratulations to Science for turning over that. You know, I mean, look at this Senate report that came out. That was from like 2002 stuff, and it, we're hearing about it 12 years later. This was six months. It was yeah, they really snuffed it out, huh, man? It was, it was wrapped up in six months. We we know yeah, that you know we know the truth within a year of if something works or not. So I, I'm I'm really happy with. Yeah, even though it was a, you know, uh, it was just a egregious scientific lie, it got corrected so quickly by multiple labs. Uh, so and goes to you know Dr. Knopfler's uh, lab for documenting the whole thing and getting sort of pointing out some of the inconsistencies within the paper and and gathering the evidence from scientists around the world and documenting what was going on with that. So Yeah, uh, you can go to actually IPSL.com, Paul Knopfler's blog. He's got he's got some stuff up about that stat report and he's also got a bunch up about the uh, F, F stem cells. So go check out that that blog. So I mean that's what I got. Yos, I, I I have some other papers that I'll hold for the new year um, because uh, you know I I don't want to make people get sick of us talking back and forth. <laughs> so we should we should do a rant and then uh, close it for the uh, 2014 year here. All right. So uh, yeah, the other day I was at a bar and I heard a guy come up to the bartender and he goes to the bartender and he says, "How we doing?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know I've heard this before. How we doing? question mark and i'm like what i don't know if somebody asked me how we doing i would first say i don't know how are you doing and then i'll tell you how i'm doing and then i could tell you how we are doing so i don't know why it bothers me but i just want to rant about that expression how we yeah doing? how we doing is a funny thing man. <laughs> i find it funny too how we doing um <laughs> Like philosophically, how is how is our relationship? Like, how are we? <laughs> how are we're we? all right. I mean, we're going through some stuff, but you know, we're okay. Or like, are you actually are you asking me how I am, and you are also asking yourself how you're doing? It's, it's I don't how we doing? Like, hey, how are we doing? I don't know, man. How how are you doing? Let's yeah. start with how you're doing. Let's start with the basics, because I just met you, but I told you one day some guy came up to me and said "Assalamu alaikum" and just yeah, man, that's I was messed like, up. I was like, just because I'm brown doesn't mean you could like assume. Yeah, that's I'm like brown. me going up to Yosef or somebody being like "Happy Kwanzaa" or something. That's like that's like ridiculous. No, that's not even close. <laughs> no, it's close. It's up there. It's uh, it's, it's pretty bad, man. I mean, what the hell? You just can't make those kind of assumptions. The other thing I was thinking about, we're talking about greetings, like how we doing, is I feel like we should standardize the greeting process in our country. You know, the handshake, the kiss on the cheek, the hug. Yeah. I feel like that could be awkward. Like, you ever you ever have a couple or like a like a person come over, like a, maybe it's a girl, you're a guy, and 
you know, you don't want to go in for the hug or the kiss if she's not ready. So you get this weird, like, awkwardness. Like, there's got to be a standardization of the handshake, the kiss on the cheek. I'm Italian, so we kiss a lot of people on the cheek, but a lot yeah. of people don't want to be kissed, man. Yeah. And no. so you can do that, like, weird face dance where, you know, like, you know, it's, like, yeah. weird. And then, so the greetings in this country need to be standardized because <laughs> it can get real out of hand real fast. Yeah. People I- don't want to shake your hand anymore either. You know, I think germs come into play and they don't want to touch you now. Fist bumps are supreme these days, at least. Yeah, uh, fist bumps are ruling. I see yeah. that. Yeah, especially in the lab or when I'm eating, I'm like, here, let's let's fist bump because, uh, you know, I don't know what you were just working with and I'm eating right now. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I know what you mean. It could get awkward when you go into like, because I normally, just like you, would kiss on the cheek. But now that you meet more professional people, you just don't like just because it's a woman. Just you don't want to go in. Yeah, you yeah, don't want to go you know, in. Yeah, so I, I guess I shake hands now. But yeah, it's it, it does need a little standardization. But did uh, you ever have an awkward kiss in the cheek? Like I had a bunch. I remember there was this woman. She was older, and uh, um, she was not. She was of some ethnicity. I think Latinish. And so I'm a my in my weird crazy mind. I'm always assuming that you know. You know, I'm always making assumptions. I'm thinking to myself, all right, this this woman's like of Latin descent. She's going to be amenable to the to a kiss on the cheek, right? I'm doing all this permutation in my mind, and I'm like, I met her a couple times before. It's not awkward, so I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give her like a kiss on the cheek. So I go, I go to approach her. I go to give her the kiss on the cheek, and she got weird a little bit, and her head made a weird turn, and I got like the corner of the lip. Oh no! Oh, I got no. like the she got the corner corner lip and ultra i'm like fail. oh man ultra whatever fail. like oh that's an ultra this fail this is forever gonna be awkward now well one thing we could agree on the most pc thing you could do this time of year is say happy holidays don't come up yeah, to me happy and holidays. say happy kwanzaa or if i, I guess because my name is yosef say happy hanukkah even though i'm not jewish but you know you just happy holidays even though it's just happy holidays a I lot know. of people want to become a big thing yos yeah, you know the, that the like, war on christmas country. yeah the war on christmas I know, but I, I'm I'm sticking with Happy Holidays. Unless I know you're a heavy Christian wearing a cross, I'll say Merry Christmas to you. But at this point, yeah, I'm, even then, I'm I would the, just stick with Happy Holidays because you yeah. never know what people are going to say. <laughs> yeah, that's um, but anyway, on that note, everybody out in the Stem Cell Podcast world, Happy Holidays! Thanks so much for listening to Yosef and I, and uh, thanks for all the the guests that we've had on the show this year. We had a great year. Uh, the podcast is growing. I know it's not a year, uh, you know, it's been a year and a half really since the show started, but we're really growing and we aim to do a lot of really good things. So, Yost, yeah. man, yeah. happy holidays, brother. Yes. Take care, and bro. And I will see you on the other side. All right. Later. <laughs>